But I, I, I was at our, um, I was at a doctor's appointment last week mm. or the week before anyway. Uh, and, um, and he said he was already using chat GPT as a tool for uh, writing his diagnoses after patient meetings. That's a bit scary, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, I mean, he used it as, as an iteration loop. He mm. said some, he wrote something quick and then mm. he got something back and then he, okay. and he adjusted that. Yeah. Um, and he said it was really, really good. Mm. There was some kind of public uh, report about, you know, some doctor trying to use it to, to make diagnosis of people and that was very wrong in that case because it, it made the wrong diagnosis um, by just entering the symptoms in some way. Yeah, yeah, I can yeah. guess that. I Probably it will make an okay diagnosis if it's something very, very common, but as soon as it's something rare, it's probably going to be way off. But in your case, or the, the friend of yours, what type of input did he give, really? Did he give some kind of... What so some? I think he just. I think he just wrote his shorthand mm. for like a meeting. Could you write a diagnosis for X, Y, Z, oh. and then it writes out something longer. So he started to write out. Okay, these are the things we've already seen. Blah blah. blah and then yeah. he just. So I think he made the diagnosis. He just wanted mm. longhand right. for the journal. Mm. I mean, I think that's a potentially a good use because it simply autocompletes, which yeah. I think it's, it's a proper way to see what ChatGPT really is. Um, but it's dangerous. You know, the, the main problem that many people speak about is that you can never tell when it's making stuff up, as Jan LeCun says, or if it actually has some kind of factual backing for or grounding for that fact. And it's still, it sounds super convincing all the time. Yeah. Right? I guess something that could be useful just comes to mind right now is, and this comes from way back when you did what we did for this large Swedish electronic company mm. abroad mm. is to actually add uh, an accuracy score mm. that you can ac that that would come automatically exactly. or you could at least ask for it so you can get an accuracy score paragraph by paragraph or sentence by sentence or if you simply state like I don't know what the answer is perhaps something like this yeah and when it is confidence it, it should really say that but to not have any kind of confidence Measure, yeah, it's dangerous, I guess. Yeah, now it's like a very, very confident child, mm. sometimes being wrong, or sometimes like being narcissistic right. child. Yeah, narcissistic. Believes he's <laughs> right all the time. Right? Yeah. So if we, how do? You, yeah, I guess you manually have to add a, a humbleness layer. Yes. Yeah, I think that could be a really good thing. And so there were this. Um, there is this other um, tool uh, called. Yeah, created by some ex-open um, AI people called Anthropic, and they created an alternative that they claim is better than ChatGPT called Claude. Um, and they use, I haven't really read the details of this yet, and I, they haven't really published that much either, but there is something that they call constitutional AI. <laughs> and uh, to my you know, superficial understanding, it basically means that they're trying to write in some general principles that it should always abide by. Some constitution, like the United States um, constitutions or something, but in this case, it's more about ethics, saying it needs to follow these constitutions, and um, then every time it writes something that doesn't follow that, it gets punished for that. So 
They can train it by simply following these kind of more ethical constitutions. I like that idea. I mean, from for me, from a layman's perspective, I don't know if maybe, well, whatever, mm. whatever I should call myself. It sounds like a good idea to have a layer which is collaborative. If you could collaborate open source on the constitutional layer, in some sense. Yeah, collaborate. I think in because collaborate, I think that comes to the reinforcement with human feedback kind of approach that ChatGPT takes. But I think in this case, they basically, I would argue that they make basically or add a prior. Yeah, they add some kind of prior saying follow these guidelines. It's like. Uh, um, the three laws of um, the Asimov's. Yeah, exactly. So they, they add not those laws, but, but a set of principles or constitutions that uh, it should always follow. And uh, by having that as a prior that it always has to follow, and, and as soon as, you know, when training it, it, it recognizes it doesn't follow one of the principles, it gets punished for it. It doesn't, you know, save everything uh, to 100%, but at least it makes it a bit more ethical potentially. Do you know if the team working on that constitutional layer are data scientists slash engineers or AI ethicists? Ah, I don't. Uh, what I know, I think they are mainly data scientists uh, with some engineers, of course, helping them. Um, but that would be my guess. Yeah. But I think the... I, if I, you know, I'm, I'm very much speculating here, but they left, you know, OpenAI for some reason. And um, uh, we know also Elon Musk left OpenAI AI for some reason, and um, you can always you can only speculate on on really what the reasons were. But um, I hope it is at least that they feel that we need to have some AI that doesn't just make stuff up, you know, without at least having some kind of principles that it follows to make sure it at least is helping people in some way. Yeah. So perhaps, you know, who knows, uh, someday Claude or some other solution um, could be something that helps us in that direction, at least. What's your sense uh, or your take on BARD, on mm. Google, Google's response to ChatGPT and BARD? So many thoughts here. Um, we, I think people have, you know, written a bit wrong or have a wrong assumption about ChatGPT killing Google search or killing internet, as some people are claiming, which is, I think, absurd. Uh, but also, I think people don't recognize if you take like three dimensions here of any company, it could be research ability or capability. It could be engineering skills and business skills, meaning that, you know, research wise, they need to have expert scientists that can help them build the knowledge that they need. Which is, of course, super use, uh, needed and, and important to, to to work with AI and the latest type of AI that we have. But it's not sufficient if they just have the knowledge and not the ability to build a product that scales and adds value. So, if you call a product something that actually has the value for the user in mind and maximize that, then you need to have really good engineering skills to be able to build that type of product. But that's not sufficient either, I would argue. So, the third layer would then be having the business skill, you need to have a business model that actually is scalable. That makes them being able to at least, you know, in some way profit from doing that. If that means having ads or having subscriptions or some other type of business model, I don't know. But I, I don't think people give Google 
enough credit in, you know, they have probably the most powerful ad network and ad model out there and been using that for so many different products in being able to in, to in that way build a sustainable business model that makes them, you know, super valuable company. So then, and, and of course, research-wise, they've been building dialogue system much longer than any other company. And they were the founders of Transformers that is, you know, based, everything is based on. Um, and they had Lambda long before they had, you know, ChatGPT and, and they uh, been publishing something called Sparrow, which actually used the exact, exact same technique as, as ChatGPT has when it comes to this kind of reinforcement from human feedback kind of approach. So even in that case, uh, chat GPT was not first, open AI was not first. So in, in basically every kind of dimension here, research wise, engineering wise, of course, they've been building so many products that been using um, like more dialogue type of interfaces. That's been part of Google search since 2019 or something. So they have the engineering skills, of course, to, to build something that can be scaled. And of course, business model wise as, way, uh, as well. But that said, of course, what OpenAI has done is very impressive. They actually, ha actually also, also had some kind of engineering skill in being able to, you know, serve a million users in five days, which is not easy. Um, so that was a very long winded dis answer to your question. But in short, I think if you put, if you recognize that the background of what Google has done in the past, and perhaps they are a bit more careful in putting up and, you know, deploying a model that just makes stuff up without having any confidence measure, perhaps they're waiting for something that they can actually trust. Yeah. Then it doesn't, it isn't looking that bad, but that said, uh, let me just finish with one last point here. And, and the horrible demo that Google did was such absurd thing that it is very astonishing for one that they cherry picked a single example that Bard, you know, sh uh, rep replied to. And in that single example, they didn't even fact check that one. And they still, I mean, I don't understand how, how they can do that without double, triple, quadruple checking, you know, the cherry picked example that he had. Isn't that a, an indication that this is not in their business team? It's some other team that's... <laughs> Maybe. Because I think you put your finger on something important because when when... When Microsoft announced that they're using ChatGPT and rolling it out in through all the throughout all their services, I was really astonished. Like, wow, this is going to be really amazing. But I couldn't see clearly where's that wow user value or business value. It was more like, okay, this is nice sprinkle. It's not like the iPhone release mm. doing something astonishing new to the suite. And I think that's where Google has and still has an upper hand in terms of simplicity and it's very tight everything, whereas Microsoft is much more very different business units working together. Together, perhaps, at least in later years, but not before, I would no. say. But who knows? I mean, it, it certainly is very impressive what, uh, impressive what Microsoft has done now with the Bing chat using GPT-4 and a dialogue interface based on ChatGPT. But, you know, just going back to this demo, you know, for one, you know, they cherry picked a horrible example, but they didn't even double check. But secondly, they should do a live demo and someone <clears throat> misplaced their phone that they should do the demo with. How can you have like a big corporate presentation, which is not 
rehearsed, that is not properly like, you know, done a number of times and everything should be have some kind of fallback to it. But no, when they did the live demo, they said, no, uh, now, now we're going to switch to this live demo mode. And someone just ran up, sorry, we can't find the phone. Oh, wow. And then they lost 100 million or 100 billion dollar valuation in one day or something after yeah. that. That's um, maybe maybe an effect of COVID, people not working together. I don't know. Yeah. But then also going back to Microsoft, you know, what they've done recently with Bing Chat, and of course I haven't, you know, personal experience with it. It's only what I've read about it, but it sounds super impressive. Yeah. Um, that they basically now have more or less bought, uh, I would argue, OpenAI. Um, of course, that's not really true, but in, in effort, they, they have 49% stake in the company. But um, they now, in a very short time, we don't know really when they started this, probably at least a year ago, but they now have a search engine, information retrieval type of interface, which is um, complemented with a dialogue interface similar to ChatGPT. So you basically get a generated natural language response instead of just a list of documents, you know, that the normal search interface provides. And then you can go into uh, chat mode. So you basically click like a chat bot button there and, and you can start to ask follow-up questions um, to, to the search answer. And, and they gave, uh, if I recall correctly, in, in their demo, an example of um, a long, it's actually similar to what you actually mentioned before. They had a long report, some kind of quarterly report of some company, like Walmart, Walmart or something. I don't recall which company it was. And um, they basically asked it, uh, give me the key highlights. And then in like a very short way, they summarized and gave like, these are the, the main highlight, the key highlights of this report. So going from, you know, 50 pages down to, five paragraphs or something. Yeah, so, I mean, that summarizing function seems to work really well. Yeah. I tried it on the AI Act. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, for, for ChatGPT or for what? For, yeah, for ChatGPT. Huh? Obviously, I didn't read the entire thing, so I don't know. But yeah. it, what I read was really well formulated and yeah. seemed to make sense. Oh, interesting. But then, you know, what it also can do, which is, I think, even more impressive, which ChatGPT can't do, so ChatGPT doesn't have any, any retrieval capabilities, mm -hmm. can't go out on, on the net and search for things. True. So it's only trained on you know, data from 2021 and, and uh, before. But what the being chat can do is exactly go out and actually retrieve things uh, in real time, which completely change, I would say, the value for this service. Yeah. So then they gave it the example. They first had the summarized, you know, um, yeah, financial report or quarterly report or something. And then they said, please compare this with company, another company. Um, let's say it was Ikea compared to Walmart or something. And, and then they gave like a table response point by point showing the differences between the two financial reports in a very, very, you know, correct and, and, and a concise format. And it did that by fetching data in real time from that you know, other company without them providing the report. Yeah, when you describe it like that, it sounds like it's it can be a game changer. I mean, I guess it depends also on how much user experience and how business much business development they have on on top. What immediately comes to mind is 
is there a subscription service where I can add rules, mm. like check for s- comparisons on an ongoing basis mm. and not have to go in manually? If that is possible, then I guess the business value will be tremendous. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think the applications you can put on this is, is you know, tremendous, as you say. But that is basically the research point. You know? So they show now that they have the knowledge to build something that um, provides potentially you know, great value. But then they need to really show that they have the engineering skills to put that into a scalable product. We'll see if they actually have you know, the ability to do that. We haven't really, I haven't at least seen it, how well it performs in terms of latency. Is it something that they, they actually can use or do you have to wait for a long time to get any kind of reply? And can, it, can they scale it up to millions and perhaps billions of users? Who knows? We haven't seen that yet. But at least ChatGPT could scale to millions of users, which is good. But then we still have the third point. How are they going to monetize it? If you don't have the ability to show ads in the same way as you have in a search engine, what is the alternative? I mean, they have to monetize it in the same way as Google has and every other company that wants to provide this type of dialogue service. And I haven't seen or heard anything about that. No, I mean, their ad stream is a fraction of Google's, right? It is, yeah. The ad network is, is a fraction. And also their like, experience with simply having and building ads in a good way is, is not the, you know, anywhere close to what Google has. So, and still, you know, how should you do it? And if someone at least said, you know, this will be the business model, is it going to be, I mean, they're going to integrate it into their short cloud, uh, you know, for developers to integrate in their own products. Great. Will that provide the scalable business model? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, it doesn't have the end user scalability. Um, so then if they want to have a consumer based product somehow, like a search engine or some kind of information service how is that going to be monetized uh, with ads? Uh, I guess they could show ads above it or something. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's probably not going to be as efficient. But the big alternative, of course, is to have some kind of subscription model saying yeah. if you pay $10 per month, then um, you get this. And, and that's basically what a- OpenAI has done so far, you know, with the, I, th- I think it's called ChatGPT Plus or something. Yeah. If you, call, if you pay, what was it, $2 a month? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's something quite low to get access yeah. to the different niche services. $20, I don't know. But let's say 100 crowns per month or something. Then you get you know, potential ask, access to, to a faster service and uh, get some kind of fast track. Or, yeah. But I wouldn't pay for that if, as long as there is a free service. But I think this is similar to what you know, Spotify kind of business model where you have a free tier and uh, premium tier. I think that's actually a rather good approach. So then you bring in users with a free tier, and that is what ChatGPT is trying to do now with a free uh, tier of using the service. But as soon as you want to use some of the more premier functionality, then you have to start paying for it. Yeah. But isn't Microsoft's game more of a business-to-business game rather than a consumer game? Yes, so agreed. I mean, for their organization, and I'm now I'm just speculating, it would make more sense to go try to provide services to companies, like provide intelligence on tap, mm. 
help them with their customer funnel or sales funnel or whatever intelligence could mm. help there. It is a good point. And perhaps that is one way to monetize it. I don't think at all it has a scalability of having a user or end user uh, tier, but at least it has a possibility to to provide some kind of monetization on on this service. So yeah, I think they they have really good experience with that. So that could be a good alternative for them. And um, and and they also done some uh, oh what was it the in Azure Cloud they had um, an ability to yeah simply you know for developers to quickly integrate that into uh, whatever product they had and and apparently it was super simple to do so that's certainly but the market but the marketplace then I mean if if every app you can develop in the Microsoft Sphere has access to that. I guess there's some kind of scalability there, but then mm, could be. But you know, still, if you compare, you know, how many users could they have from a developer or company point of view? I don't know how many thousands. Perhaps they can reach millions, but they would never reach billions as you can as a user. And if you can monetize in, in the scales of billions of users, that is an insane uh, business model to have. Unless you focus on the employee. In an organization, like mm-hmm. if you were to buy, if you're, I don't know, some service company like Ericsson and you find some use case where you can actually augment the employee, mm-hmm. I don't know what that use case is, but then the payment, the willingness to pay would probably be quite high per employee per month. But that's into some kind of product then, I guess, that yeah. you integrate into your organization. So yeah, that's yeah. a business to business deal, isn't it? Yeah, it's the business to business play. Yeah, it's certainly interesting times going forward. And I haven't really heard anything about um, if Google is going to provide some kind of API service in similar ways as Microsoft has. So that's certainly a, a good lead that they have so far. Yeah. In that way. Yeah. Hmm. So do you have any thoughts, you know, who will come out? Uh, I mean, the, Google has made surprisingly, you know, significant blunders now in, in recent uh, weeks. But what about a year? Uh, I mean, I think it says something that they can so quickly after ChatGPT and Microsoft doing their move, mm. come out with a demo or at least something with Bard. Mm. Uh, and... And Bard, by the way, also have the retrieval capabilities as Bing Chat has. Yeah. So it certainly is much more powerful than ChatGPT is. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm slightly biased. I'm going to say that up front. I'm a Google user, not a Microsoft user. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, and I like their, the simplicity. So I'm, I would bet a little bit on Google. And when I've actually looked into, I mean, analysts, Inclusions on investments. A lot of people say Google is gonna. There's a lot of things happening in Google right now, and they have a big capability to run fast. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I have the same kind of bias, I think, as you do. Uh, but it is, I think, very, very useful and needed that Google search gets some competition now in the market of 
what is the mission of Google again to organize every all, yeah, the, organis- on, all the information on Earth? Yes. Yeah. Like that. I mean, one thing I do like and admire with Microsoft is the the responsibility for society mm. and that they work very close to public organizations and municipalities. And mm. I would hope that they work closely with states and or regions and municipalities on applying Bing and ChatGPT for public use and find use cases where we can benefit society. Yeah, and um, I saw, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the Microsoft CEO, Satya Nadella. I think he has transformed the company in a very impressive way in just recent 10 years. And he was also very humble when he was asked the question, you know, what do you think about the Google blunder and, and the big drop in the market cap that they received from, from that? And and he basically didn't you know, gloat in any way. And ah, he is a really impressive person, I think. So he's really moved the company in a direction that I think it could actually scale surprisingly well. Yeah. Do you think that this kind of uh, indicates that Google and Microsoft? Yes. Okay. Sorry, please. Does this indicate that Microsoft and Google are making the shift from selling cloud to selling intelligence on tap <laughs> within the next few years? Isn't it the same? Um, I guess it's the same, but I mean more. But Microsoft is moving more into selling intelligence through cloud. Yeah. And Google is focusing more on selling intelligence to users, right? Yeah. I'm ju- I think I'm, I'm interested in... Or but but of course Google Cloud uh, in a platform will have an API very very shortly as well. Yeah. Of course it will be followed in similar ways. Anything else yeah. would be very strange. I'm interested in the fact that this is happening in North America. Mm. And if you if I'm going to run a company successfully in five years, that it's going to use a lot of services powered by these AI models. I'm mm. probably going to be subscribing to models hosted or run from American companies. Mm that is going to be politically dependent on the goodwill between the European Union and North America. But maybe, I mean, we can discuss that with uh, Martin and, and Mikael. Yeah, right. We haven't really perhaps given an introduction, but we're waiting for two guests to arrive. That is currently at uh, the Swedish government, Regeringskansliet. Um, yes, they're meeting with one of the ministers of the government. Yes, yes. and uh, yeah, Erik Slotner. Um, that's also responsible for the digitalization part of uh, the public sector in Sweden. Um, and these are also Martin Svensson and uh, Mikael Lund, uh, Jungblad, Jungblom. Jungblom yeah. from AI Sweden as well. So we're just small talking here a bit. Yeah. And I guess we can excuse them for being late. Yes. Even though we are important, we might <laughs> give <laughs> they are excused, priority to the minister. Yeah. And uh, Martin is the co-director of AI Sweden, and Mike Mikael Jungblom is the communications director, and he was previously the advisor to one of the former ministers, yes. uh, energy and digitization minister. So he's he knows what's going on in, in the government. Yeah, I remember when I first met uh, Mikael, it, it was actually when he was still uh, the SOC Kunig. How do you say that in English? The... The expert, the guy the who knows stuff, <laughs> or the so. person who knows stuff. It's not only guys, yeah. definitely. But for the minister, uh, Peter Eriksson at that time, and uh, it was some EU summit in uh, Estonia, 
And uh, yeah, I was impressed the first time I met him, and he's he's really knowledgeable person. So yeah, now it's going to be fun to have them here, and I'm very happy to be here. I've been here before, but I'm happy to stand in for Henrik, who yes. I think is fantastic, and yes. it's a bit it's big shoes to fill, but it's his birthday, and he has a good excuse as well. Yeah, he yeah. has a good excuse. <laughs> I mean, so happy birthday to Henrik! Yes, if you cheers are for Henrik. Right. How old is Henrik now today? You oh, know? 25 perhaps. <laughs> 25 at heart. Yes, yes. And you are Kai Andersson then. You've yeah. been on the podcast before and we know each other from way back, I guess, and have a lot of experience uh, from various situations as well. Yeah. Speaking to politicians as well quite yeah. a lot in the yes, past. Yes, trying to do things. I've learned a lot from you. Yeah, same <laughs> from me. So very glad to have you joining here as well. Thank you very much. And I hope that we, I mean, I'm currently taking my motorcycle license and I know um, you're, uh, yes, you've been riding for a long time. So I hope you will, <laughs> we will ride together soon. That sounds like a plan for upcoming summer. Yeah. Just, you know, when you said, you know, before about the North America and, and the dependencies we have to the big tech companies there, we shouldn't, you know, uh, forget the Chinese uh, big giants as well. So. We have the Baidu company, the big Chinese search engine that is also providing a chatbot, actually. Yeah. It's called something uh, Ernie Bot or something. So Ernie was another big model that they produced before. And now they have the Ernie Bot. So I'm not 100% sure of the name. I think it was Ernie Bot. But is this from? Is this like a response to Bert? Bert and Ernie? Yeah, I haven't thought about that yet. It probably is. <laughs> it <Yes>. must be. <laughs> it must be. Yes, exactly. It's probably true. Indicates um, that there's someone with humor over yes, there. Yes, it is. Have uh, you tried? Have you seen anything from Ernie? Ernie, yes. Ernie bought no, uh. um, but they also have a lot of other models that they built in China in, in various universities, and uh, it's one called Wudao 2.0. It was, you know, ten times bigger than GPT three was. So, you know, if you take uh, GPT-3 that had 175 billion parameters, this one had 1.75 trillion parameters in it and was multimodal, you know, could handle both text and, and images in the yeah. same model. And, and this was released like over a year ago, perhaps one and a half year or something. So, I mean, if you, don't, if you think China is behind, don't be so sure. No, I don't. What was the release like? Did they really like publish it open source or was it? No, no. I mean, one of the big things, I guess, to to give ChatGPT, it's, I mean, the media coverage it got was that they built an, a very good website where people could play yes. around with it to understand what this is all about. Yes. So, and, and we should, yeah, I think from there, if you think about th these three dimensions, the research, engineering, and business, uh, I think ChatGPT was really, really good in, in the business, no, not in the business, but in the engineering more than the research. So, I mean, research-wise, it's most more of an incremental move forward. Yeah. And here we have some other guests as well. Hey. Very welcome hey. here. We've just made excuses and said that uh, you're all very excused because you've been at uh, at the government uh, meeting with the minister. This would, we wouldn't have excused you if you'd met the king, but for the government, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. We're just speaking a bit about... Um, the Chinese alternative to ChatGPT and other uh, large, large language models that they do have. And, uh, we shouldn't forget about, you know, there, there are more players in town than Google and Microsoft. But what about Apple? 
you, I mean, there is no large language model provided by them or any kind of competition. Do you th- what, what do you think about Apple going forward? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. Let's pause that and let me think about that <laughs> while you introduce Martin and Michael or reintroduce them. <laughs> Hello, Michael and, and, uh, and Martin. Uh, very welcome here. Uh, we've known each other for quite some time as well and very happy to see you again. Um, perhaps we should wait with a formal introduction and just, you know, uh, can you please elaborate a bit more? Where have you just been and uh, what were you doing there? Uh, well, uh, we we went to see the uh, the minister who is in charge of uh, municipalities, regions, and AI, uh, Erik Slotner. Mm-hmm. We Was were discussing there... AI in general. Okay. Um, um, and let's get back to that shortly then. Um, but perhaps we can just introduce each each one of you a bit more. And Martin Svensson, you're the co-director of AI Sweden and has been doing that for four, five it's years? A couple of years now, yeah. yeah. It's uh, almost four, it's four and a half. Four and a half. Since we started uh, to prepare and mm. more or less exactly four years since we inaugurated. So it's been I'm a right. while now. Yeah, it is. And, and the trips to Canada and everything, it was fun times in the beginning there. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And you have another interesting background as well. But then also Mikael Jung, uh, Lung, Jung, Jung Blum, Blum. sorry Jung for Blum. that. Uh, I think the first time we met was, was it when you were with Peter Eriksson in the Estonia kind of EU summit, perhaps? That might have been the first time. I actually visited Peltarion uh, when I was working uh, for right. government. I'm not sure if I only met Kai or if you were there as well. I think you only met me and yeah. Luca at that time. Yeah, I met Luca as well. Yeah. I mean, you have a very interesting background as well, I think. Um, uh, perhaps you can give a short background yourself about what have you done before you joined AI Sweden? And, yep. Uh, what do you do now? Um, yeah, okay. So I, I actually, I started my career in Brussels. Uh, I worked for the Swedish permanent representation there yeah. uh, for a few years. Uh, and then I got a bit more interested in politics and thought that that might be cool. So uh, I, I started working for uh, Milia Partiet. Right. The Swedish Green Party, uh, and I worked first with energy questions in, in the Swedish Parliament. But then, when Peter Eriksson became the Minister of Digitalization, he basically asked me if I wanted to join, and I said, "Yeah, uh, let's do it." Mm. Um, and that's actually when I met I met Kai, I met met you, I met quite some other people as well. Mm. I'm awesome. And now you work at AI Sweden, right? And yes. What's your main so, responsibilities there. I work as head of uh, public affairs at AI Sweden. Mm. Can I add something as well? Since I want to, I, I'm going to beat my own drum. <laughs> I think, I mean, you have a very, you have a, a general expertise background and a communications background that where you are really good at communicating, which I think is a very valuable asset within this complex world of AI. I mean, I saw you on Nyhets uh, Moron News Morning uh, the other week together with your the co-director Daniel and I think since this since AI touches society and business on so many levels I think what you do and your ability to convey the messages is really really important and that's I mean that goes for you too Martin thank you yeah but can I go I'll, I'll go back to I mean you guys answer as much as you can from the minister I guess everything is public information but you just say as Anders often says, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> from his security police position, when I ask him if about 
ask him about UFOs. Um, I was amazed that he has the title Minister of Municipality, Regions and AI. I, think I, I mean, uh, that was that's one of it. That's his responsibilities. I yeah. mean, in Swedish, it's it's civil minister. Yeah, but um, I think I think I'm happy to hear that responsibility because to me, looking at AI. It has great potential for menu, for especially municipalities and regions for the country. It does indeed. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. You can you share anything you discussed? No, I mean obviously, uh, obviously, given given his his areas of responsibility, that was definitely one of the topics. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it was uh, it was a good conversation. Uh, he's he's really interested, and uh, yeah, we had a good a good talk. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, perhaps Martin, you can give a bit more elaborate kind of discussion. What what was the purpose of discussion? Um, any topics you brought up that you can speak about? But let's say one thing. I mean, in the past, uh, with previous governments, we have had a minister of digitalization, mm. and and from we, we we see this as a positive change that there is interest from a minister with responsibility for the sectors where this has to be used. Mm-hmm. Uh, then. Then it makes more sense, and it's right. easier to to discuss uh, how it can actually benefit. In this case, municipalities and, and regions. It was a very uh, introductory meeting, if you wish, um, yeah. where we discussed both uh, what we do, SIS um, <clears throat> Sweden, especially one initiative towards uh, municipalities uh, and civil society, uh, but we had also brought along. Um, the director of uh, Salgrenska University Hospital. So oh, she okay. was also giving her view on, on how AI could be used in healthcare basis. Nice. Have you have you mentioned, I mean, we were discussing chat GPT and BARD and the big, I mean, there's been Claude so much media and, so and there's been all, yeah, almost a, um, an AlphaGo moment in the Western world where people have finally kind of the coin has dropped. Uh, did you did you notice in this meeting that there's a different level of understanding of the capabilities compared to a year ago? Is there a different awareness? I think if we if we speak on a, on a general basis, that is definitely true. I mean, we see this all the time in terms of the interest from the media. We see it in in, in discussions we have in in, in many different places. Uh, so so that's true. I mean, we didn't discuss. ChatGPT as such uh, in this meeting, but uh, but I, I think it's contributed definitely to the interest of, of both right. media and politicians in, in in the issue of AI for sure. And if, for me, you know, coming more from a research or interested at least a lot in in the research aspects of uh, AI, I get a bit frustrated sometimes if you compare the research aspect versus the engineering versus the business aspects, and then you know the ChatGPT. Uh, launch got extreme attention, of course, in media, and then people perhaps don't recognize that the research uh, discoveries was not that huge, but the engineering and as I think the the communication of it was huge, and that is not you know you should also recognize that that's an important thing. If nothing else, it brings the attention to the public in some way of the possibilities of AI in an extreme and very easy to understand way, right? Um, but still, it, I hope people understood that generative AI, as these models are, is not the only thing AI can do. 
which is you know at least a bit frustrating to me. But but would you share that view that you know it, it's actually really a good thing that that these type of ChatGPT kind of launches really bring AI to the focus and make people understand that something big is happening? Well, definitely. <clears throat> Not sure we can put the finger on exactly why, but there is an obvious difference when it comes to to gener general people's understanding after ChatGPT mm. compared to what we have had for years, right? Recommendations yes. in Spotify, in, in right. retail, or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> that is obvious also generated by these kind of technologies, right? Mm. But this, I think, became so obvious mm. and so such a surprise to most people mm. of what it actually can do right. and how it responds. And so I think very few people can actually see this thing without actually reacting in one or the other way. This is, this is new. Yeah. This is certainly new. On that, I mean, on that uh, point, you both were instrumental in, like, I would say, the beginning of the AI journey for Sweden. How would you describe the difference from four or five years ago when you were knocking on doors and trying to rally people to like we need to we need to wake up we need to do this to now could you could you share your both of your maybe personal perspectives well, let me to start <clears throat> well i think we are are relevant individuals to ask this question because if you look back on what is now one of of, of uh, several important investments uh, on AI in Sweden. It came to be thanks to a number of individuals taking some decisions. Right? Mika was one. <coughs> the former minister that uh, Mika was working at the time, Peter Eriksson, was one. The automotive industry, uh, a few individuals there decided that something needs to happen and um, decided to to put one person that's working with us now, Zomatz, been on the pod, I think. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> to to push for this, and at the time, I think it was. I mean, given the the, the previous discussion about GPT, it was very early days from a from a from a, a society perspective. Right, very few knew about it. Very few understood what it the potential or the disruption that we might see coming. So a lot has happened. Um, if we look at our near surrounding, I would say that just in the last four or five months, we have started to realize that there are organizations in basically every sector that has taken, has taken big steps. Perhaps not in deployed solutions, but in mentality, in how they organize themselves, in how they build ecosystem around themselves, how they talk about the talent they need, how they start to recruit, um, how they think about themselves in an ecosystem. This has changed a lot, a lot, really in a very, very positive way. And I think we probably we should have seen this coming gradually, but it was kind of a realization just in the last, let's say, half a year. Mm. Wow, wow. Uh, so there is, there, there is a big, big change. I would also just add, in uh, we uh, to a large extent, I think the pandemic has actually accelerated this a bit. Mm, in what way? Um, 
we spoke about it with with um, Anne-Marie Wendberg, the director of Salgrenska today, and um, she said, no, it was it was sorry, it was another discussion I had today that that um, during the pandemic, healthcare was flooded with data mm. from international perspectives. Every day they had new directives on how to treat the patients and so on. The whole world just got together and tried to solve the, the problem we had. Mm. And I think all that created a higher understanding on how can we actually work more data-driven in a way, right? Mm. I think also it drove an understanding that there are so many things that we can't solve on our own within individual in individual organizations. So the need, the interest to collaborate and learn from others has just exploded, I would say. It's so much easier today to get the healthcare provider or a municipality or whatever to be curious and, and learn from someone else than it was a couple of years ago. It's a complete change in mindset. It's interesting how crisis in some way can help to make change happen in a much, much faster pace, right, than otherwise possible. And perhaps, you know, the pandemic um, helped increase digitalization in, in general, in every sector, in working remotely or education or whatever it can be. But then, it, you know, having an increased digitalization also lead to being able to use data in a more efficient way. And that in its, in its turn leads to the ability to use AI in, in, versus in, in various ways. And I guess remote work also maybe in one way rewards goals, goal-driven activities over committees and safeguarding. Mm. So it was kind of a steel bath in some senses, but obviously also for a lot of human beings, but for organizations, it was almost kind of a divide between those who were mission-oriented, who managed to thrive or at least survive, and those who were less clear, who struggled. Could you would you agree that you know those companies that were able to make change happen were those that survived the pandemics and in that case that led to an increased increased understanding for the need to use data and AI? Is that a fair statement? You think? I think you're more qualified to to answer, Martin. <clears throat> Let me elaborate a bit more. Then I mean, if we take another big thing that happened, you know, when Elon Musk bought Twitter, for example, he basically fired 50 plus percent of the people. Now we see basically every tech company doing the same. You know, Google fired 6%, yeah. uh, Spotify fired 6%, Amazon fired so many, Facebook and Meta fired an extreme amount of, of people as well, even before that perhaps. But still, we've seen a significant change happening and in some way actually decrease in or decrease perhaps is the wrong word, but rationalization in, in some way of, of tech companies as well. And it led, you know, I would argue at least that the big uh, impact uh, for this to make, to, to make this happen was actually Elon Musk coming in and saying, no, let's just fire a large number of people. And then other companies was, you know, was, was reacting to that saying, if they can do that and still operate, perhaps we can also in some way Think about you know how can we make our business model more useful. Mm. I certainly agree on the <clears throat> on the last thing you said. Um, I think also Elon Musk triggered a lot of <laughs> other decision makers yes. to to study what he he, he was doing. Um, 
I'm not so sure that in all those cases AI was actually involved, but yeah. I certainly think productivity yes. uh, must have been. And and the link between AI in the tech sector and productivity is very obvious. Mm. Um, so it might not have been AI triggering it, but it's if we generalize it to tech companies actually being able to do the same kind of work uh, with more modern technology, I think that is has certainly a role to play here. But my point there was a bit, okay, we, we saw some kind of trigger happening, right? That that caused someone to recognize if they can do that, perhaps we can do it as well. And I potentially the connection back to the pandemic was the original question is that if someone started to really rationalize the way that they operated, perhaps working remotely or whatever it was, becoming more digitalized or, or something else, it also triggered other companies to start doing things. So I think that there is a similarity in that, you know, single crisis or action or event can have side effects that are actually kind of significant. Right? Oh, definitely, definitely. So is the conclusion then that we need more crises? <laughs> let's, let's start to learn from this one and see what we can... Yeah, let's do that. I guess, I mean, I guess there's some kind of national uh, gathering around Sweden's shift. And I'm now I'm wandering into political territory. I mean, our shift from neutrality to NATO and having an outer foreign enemy that makes you actually gather and collect your thoughts and looking forward, uh, which is probably powerful. I want to return to Michael's reflections also from back then, because I, I want to hear your your words and your reflections, if you have any. It doesn't have to be. I, I, ha- I have a reflection, which is I think is quite interesting. If, if you would have asked the question before the launch of ChatGPT, I think my answer would have been that, that it was actually easier to speak about or people were more interested in, in someone speaking about AI back in 2017 than before the launch of ChatGPT uh, from a sort of media political perspective. But after the launch of ChatGPT, I mean, it's now it's it's a completely different level for sure. Yeah, because they, it was kind of a I mean, it, AI was a bit interesting actually for the media in, in 2017 18. And even in the in the Ministry for 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 Enterprise and, and Innovation, there was a, a bit of competition between the ministers who was the real sort of AI minister and so on. So, and and we haven't really seen that type of competition since then. I would I would dare to say. Yeah, very good point. I guess back then it was more of a magic hype yes. hype thing, and now it becomes yes. more real because yes. everyone's talking about it. I mean, I remember clearly one of our two big daily newspapers, the editor-in-chief of business saying in a meeting, I don't see how AI is going to affect world business. Yeah. That was five years ago. Yeah. So given that you just went to the government as well and spoke to them, and you, I know you have spoken to, to others uh, and to them a lot before in the past, and we also know that you know media certainly has reacted a lot to these kind of very obvious and easy-to-understand changes that ChatGPT and all the other the Google Bard and the Claude's and the Ernebot of China and whatnot are now doing, would you say that you have the similar type of reaction from the government and politicians as we do in media? I, I think there is, a, there is a larger interest uh, politically in AI. Uh, I would say that. Um, it still comes down to individuals. 
as in in many cases but as i think in general it's 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 larger what's the collective i mean you you have your finger on the pulse of uh, the commercial sector of sweden of all our companies if we compare that from four three three four years ago to now what's the ceo mindset how has that shifted when it comes to ai i mean after <coughs> all you you're in touch with hundreds of them yes <clears throat> but but still a fairly small amount compared to all the companies that are out there so so in big numbers i'm not sure it has cha- has changed that dramatically on a management level i'm afraid that ai is, is still on too few board meetings in too few management team meetings on top executives <clears throat> but but obviously when it comes to our near surrounding we have even decided on at the sweden side we want to focus on the ones having ambition and we have seen that companies that have joined us in the past maybe because a few individuals wanted this to happen um but without the the backing of top management they have typically left and defocused a bit so i think the the it's a very clear trend that there are more and more leaders um starting to realize that this has to be a priority and the ones that do they understand that very quickly that they need to invest more than they anticipated uh, but the, the overall number i'm not sure i can see a massive improvement actually in this weekend's uh, um, edition of agenda uh, our new head of our riks bank i don't know what do you call that national bank said sweden is expected to have uh, one of the lowest growth in europe going forward for the coming years do you think ai could i mean if we adopted ai f- quicker could we could that have a positive effect yes <laughs> <laughs> surprising answer <right? laughs> and how how if you want to elaborate like is there a is there an easy no but i, I think uh, a few perspectives uh, it's, uh, speaking about productivity i think this is basically what it comes down to um i think it's interesting that the government has has, has said that they will launch a productivity commission uh, i think that that's a very good initiative uh if you in in such a commission really make use of of the 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 possibilities you're given with with ai uh i mean you 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 could have real effects uh, that's for sure but it's key that you actually include this sort of technological perspective in in what drives productivity in the world today and i think we can look at 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 companies and see who are the most valued companies today in the world and what sort of what's what's at their core right nice to see say see that you say that uh, and and just to elaborate a bit more what do you mean i think the answer is obvious but just to, to make it clear what are the top you know leading companies today no no i mean do? they have ai at their at their core yeah. uh, basically all of them uh, ai and data yes basically. and they are basically the tech companies uh, yeah. of the world today yeah. 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 So okay, so Sweden has potentially the lowest growth rates now in in Europe. I'm not sure exactly, but or one of them at least, and and it it needs to find ways to to improve the the economy of of Sweden in some way. And I guess the question could be, you know, either do you 
you just deaccelerate and, and stop investing and uh, trying to find ways out, uh, or or you do accelerate and, and you try to be offensive and aggressive in a, in a way to come out of it. And I, it's a, we have you know we should have some kind of person that does not think that AI is good here. I know you, what the answer will be, but I, I assume that you obviously will say. I mean, we need to still you know given the success as you said, Mikael, from the tech giants that they have the technology to do this and then the business skills to be the, build a business model around it, um, then we should learn from that. And if we can, we can potentially change this kind of downward trend that we are seeing in Sweden, correct? I think so. I think uh, just just to go beyond AI f- for a while, uh, to add a few more perspectives, I, th- I think I think investments, as you mentioned, is key in general. I mean, we, ha- we have a lot of political proposals that are very short-term. Um, so I think investments and, and having sort of a, a bit of a more farsightedness is, is key here. Uh, and it's not only AI. I think we have other investments that we need to make as well. Um, so so that I would say is lacking. And I'm, I'm not blaming either political side regarding this. I think it's lacking in general. And and that's why I I think this this uh, this initiative with the productivity commission is, is such a good idea because it's I mean you have to look a bit more long term in, in in a work like that. And of course we have AI Sweden that have their clear mission, um, but we also have Sweden. And if we still were to be a bit critical, or at least think you know Sweden perhaps have not done perfectly well in previous years. Um, in terms of investment, as you say, not only in AI, but perhaps in other aspects. If you were to just reflect a bit shortly, can, can you think, you know, this was probably a mistake and I think we should do it this way instead? You see what I mean? Can If you were to reflect a bit, do you, and compared to other you know, Nordic countries or European countries, can you perhaps give an example of some country that did it in a better way and that are currently a bit on top, so to speak? <laughs> it's not an easy question. I no, know. it's a difficult question. Uh, it's very difficult. Um, but, but if I understand your question as what Sweden could have done different as a mm. country, I think yes. what we see in in this being a transformation of society at the higher level, right? is that leadership is the key thing. It always comes down to leadership. Yes. <clears throat> and and the the way we have taken this in, in, in Sweden is that a few individuals have shown leadership in short periods of time and facilitated in, in small investments, but we haven't had a consistent leadership in this field over many years, leading to to continuous investments from from the public administration side, if we look at the if we look at the the largest research investment from from Wallenberg in, in called VASP, that is an ever growing investment over a longer and longer extended period of time. Mm. They have shown the leadership. Yes. So, if the, the the public side would have understood earlier to do the same we would have been in a better spot, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I think also, we, we can't pinpoint what, what, what could have triggered that, but you talked about uh, research versus engineering before. I think we've had a mindset in Sweden of 
AI being research mm. um, right. and, and perhaps not tools, toolbox that is ready to use by engineers, mm. providing better solutions, better products, better uh, internal um, management systems in companies and organizations. Um, so if we would have had a earlier on something triggering a different mindset, that would certainly have had an impact. But I, I can't really pinpoint the mistake, if you wish, right? right. Um, if we do the... Uh, so I have, a, I have a perspective. I think uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily what we did wrong. It's probably more what we didn't do. Yeah. Yes. I think yeah, this is what good. we're aiming for. And, yeah, if you and, also, to and for example, uh, what, what didn't we do? I mean, we yes. didn't launch a, 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 a strategy for, for yes. AI exactly. coupled with investments and, and concrete legislation. We didn't do that. Which and I Finland, for example, did. So, I mean, they yeah. did it already back in 2017, for example, yeah. with a proper strategy with budget yes. attached yes. to it. Right? But I also want to highlight something that Mike, Mikael said, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that this is not a political question. This is to our political system and our structure that we are very decentralized we are very spread out so our government doesn't really function naturally it doesn't matter who rules or <laughs> decides no one can decide 40 years ahead so it's i would just want to highlight that this is not it doesn't matter who rules we need to no we had different different rulers uh, and, uh, like different uh, political parties in, in in government so but i also think Let's let's say let's, I mean we have the system which is very decentralized. What does that mean? That means that you have to take a sort of an extra responsibility in terms of leadership, uh, and you have to make an extra effort to to, to sort of to, to rule or steer a country. So that's what's needed. I mean, I mean it's not it's not to say that uh, it's difficult, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean we've seen the we've seen the result of the exact same thing when it comes to energy. Yeah. Just now, so <laughs> we have an analogy to make. That should that would have also required a long term responsibility. Yes. So I guess if we don't do this, if I mean we can repeat the same mistake as we did with energy with AI. I mean, also, I mean, given that we have a rather decentralized kind of way of working in Sweden, that needs or put forward, I think, even more the the need for AI Sweden as well to help or have an organization that actually helps people collaborate more. And perhaps, you know, we're even too small as a single country as well, and, and we need to collaborate with other countries as well, especially in Europe, because if there is big thing, you know, big difference in the world today, it's, it's that some countries and some companies especially is very much in the lead. And there is not, I would argue, a large tech company in, in Europe even. In Sweden, we have, of course, a lot of very successful startups, and, and we should be really proud, I think, about the startup sector and the industry that we have in Sweden. It's been surprisingly, compared to a lot of other countries, successful. But still, we don't have anything in Europe, any country that is on the scale that the big tech giants in US and China is. So then we can also, and please disagree if you don't agree, but we can also say that potentially Europe is a bit decentralized in that way. And we haven't really had the big investments for having these kind of companies grow to the scale that they have done in US and China. Or how can we find an you know, alternative to the big American and Chinese giants that we're seeing? It's not an easy question that as well. But do you have any thoughts about this? For one, do you agree with it? And, and do you think it's a problem? No, no, I fully agree. I mean, we, we, we can only list the, 
and, and, and look at the data. Mm. If we lose, lift, list the biggest companies and most successful companies in the world, very few are from Europe. Yes. Uh, in, in, in some perspectives, you would find zero from Europe. So I completely agree. Um, and, and from that perspective, I think the, the private sector of, of Sweden and some other places are quite astonishingly good in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we start from a, a good base, but still we need to adopt these things that to a certain degree will change the world. And, um, and if we look at the these as continents, there are very different drivers in China, US, and, and Europe when it comes to AI, right? Uh, we have China that is very top-down uh, controlled, but also huge investments. Yes. You have the US um, where you have the, the, the private capital being invested in enormous amounts. I mean, we can't even relate to it in a sense. And then we have Europe where Mikael and, and others uh, around us spend a lot of time on Figuring out what what kind of regulation will we actually live under in the coming? That's another interesting topic. Yeah. I'd love to go back to regulation. Yeah. So, so I think it's it's both the decentralized situation, right, mm-hmm. where we have European Union. At least we have a union that can take decisions. Yes. <laughs> we could have been without that, but but it's uh, a lot of stakeholders needing to come together, uh, and and then we have another approach than the other to big continents. So it's it's a lot to <laughs> take into consideration here. And Michael, you've been a lot in Brussels as well and have a perspective from EU. Uh, uh, you, what, what's your thought? Do you think, how can we make potentially EU work better or what should they have done differently from an EU perspective? Any thoughts on that? I, I participated in an, in an event uh, recently online with a, with a European uh, uh, parliamentarian and and some other people and and the question was will will the AI Act uh, be set a golden standard in the world and and can we sort of teach the world how to regulate AI and I think I mean my answer then and my answer here is that uh, I mean it's not only it's not only we that are supposed to teach the world I think we can also learn from from the rest of the world so. Yes. I think this is this is a key point. So let's. Um, I think Europe needs to look outward uh, a little bit more uh, and see who who is really best at this and what have they done. Um, not only say that we are Europe, uh, we we will do this and and others will follow. It's almost like I mean I'm going to take maybe a, an extreme stance here, but sometimes I get the sense we have a patronizing view and an unwillingness to acknowledge that China and the US are doing really well in this area. So we took on the hat of, we're going to tell you how it's done in a responsible way. Do you agree with that? Stance? I, I mean, I, I, I mean, think it's a bit extreme, but yeah, I mean, I think we, we, we don't necessarily have to be inspired by China. Uh, there are other uh, really good, really good examples. I mean, Canada, for example, uh, UK, uh, US to, to, to an extent for sure. Um, so I think we have a lot of democratic partners out there uh, that we want to have a close uh, relation with, uh, and and I think we should be able to work even even closer with them in, in terms of AI because we share the the same values to to a large extent. I think this is this is key. Does the AI Act 
pose a risk of limiting our possibilities? I mean, I think the AI Act is, is a risk in itself, um, both for our competitiveness, also for, for, for the welfare sector um, in Europe. Um, I think this is this, uh, this is that this is what we have an, as an opinion. Uh, let's see how it pans out. I mean, the legislation isn't done, uh, so it's still being negotiated. We don't know what the final text will be. Um, but, but there is a risk in, in how it's written now, for example, in the, in the common approach of the council. And then I know that in Parliament there are uh, some wild ideas uh, floating around. Uh, so let's see. Uh, and, and I think, I'm, I'm not sure it's going to be, uh, I'm not sure it's going to limit us in terms of cooperating with other countries. I think it's rather that the development that we might want to see in Europe will happen elsewhere. Um, But, okay, I think we can speak forever about the AI Act and the potential positive impact it could have or the dangerous downside it could have as well. If we just stay shortly, I think we should mention also the positive aspect, of course, of having a regulation that tries to potentially make AI more responsible. But then if we focus on the potential downsides, if we start with innovation uh, to start with, um, one part of the act is it, it's, it's claiming at least to really try to promote innovation and making the act not really be um, a danger in that way. And they have these kind of sandboxes and whatnot that they are trying to have as a tool for companies to quickly be compliant with the act. What do you think about that approach? Do you think that they are right in the current you know, claims of, of the AI Act that it actually can promote innovation? Or do you think still it's more of a danger than positive aspects? I, I, I think I want to go back actually to the, to the very sort of core of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the notion of trying to regulate the technology as such is, is, makes it very, very difficult with everything that follows from that. I think in, instead of saying you cannot do this with AI, you should say you cannot do this. Uh, this is I'm, I'm yes. saying that all the time. It's so funny that you, you mentioned that. I think that is the core problem of yes. the act itself. And all the other problems or issues that we have follow from that, yes. I think. Yeah. I think we saw that the other week when Daniel Ek launched his healthcare company. And as a response, I mean, there was a lot of positive response about preventive healthcare and AI helping to to... To, to predict uh, health, but also some doctors coming out and saying this is dangerous. And, and I was like, but why are you allowed to make these predictions and not data in a transparent manner? If we should have a regulation, it should apply to, to humans first and then whatever technology you use, that's the basis. I still want to elaborate on what you said, you know, why should we regulate the technology and not the outcome? I think that's a very important and I'm very surprised that very few others are speaking about this problem. I know we said before in the podcast that, you know, if I take a hammer and I hit it over the head on, on Henrik or on Kai, then um, that is something um, that we should try to prevent <laughs> with regulation. Then what should you do? Should you regulate the use of the hammer? Exactly. Or should you regulate the act of actually hitting someone on the head? Yeah. And the answer, of course, then becomes very obvious. Yes. Um, and it's strange, I, don't, I think, that not more people think about this. 
Agreed. Do you have any thoughts about that? What, what? I, I also think it's strange, and, and we said this from, from the very start. Uh, uh, we, we answered a, a remiss uh, to, the, to the government, and, and that was our main, main point. And I mean, uh, it's, I mean, you can do it even with an example in, in, the, in the AI Act, what's forbidden. I mean, you cannot, you can, you cannot use AI for social scoring, mm. but can you use pen and paper? Mm. Is, is that allowed? I don't think. I hope not. Yeah. Well, I guess you can, since you can apply for a loan at a bank, and that is yeah. sufficient yeah. social scoring, right? I mean, okay, so uh, it's great that we agree on, on that you know core problem that the AI Act has, but still, okay, we have the Act, um, and then we have dangers, and what I was try actually trying to get at was that let's assume that the sandboxes does work. I don't think it will, uh, at least not in the beginning. And then I think we need to have institutions in each country that actually are trying to help companies to be compliant with the AI Act and the company that does, actually does that the best or does it well at least will have a big benefit compared to a lot of other, com uh, other countries. Yep. Do you see AI Sweden having potentially a role in this in trying to help companies become compliant with the AI Act? <coughs> I mean, I, I think I think we have already had some discussions about how can we facilitate this. Let's not say that it's AI Sweden that will do it, but I think we have a role in trying to facilitate this happening. Yes. Uh, let's see how that turns out. But but we are having some discussions about this, and I think you're you're very on point to to what what will be important going forward. And I think also. I think let's try to work with our other European partners here and see can can we can we mitigate this risk that that we might see with with the AI Act and, and make it as as easy as possible. Uh, that's the general approach, I would say. Yeah, I would say the same. I, I think we will be involved somehow. We already have um, collaboration with the authority of, of um, privacy protection in Sweden together with some uh, <clears throat> healthcare providers. This is GDPR, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but somehow they are interlinked. Um, and as Mikael says, we, we are already having discussions of how to approach this in the next step. Um, so let's see. I mean, what we, we need to address any question that is enabling us to accelerate the use of AI because that's what we're here for. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's awesome if, if uh, as you say, they, uh, yes, we can help facilitate that and really you know, learn from other countries, collaborate when possible, and then simply make sure that the society and organizations in Sweden can can operate in a world where the AI Act is enacted, so to speak. Right. Do you see any positive act, uh, aspects of the AI Act besides the downfalls? <coughs> well, if you... Take a step back, right, and <clears throat> think about a longer-term perspective. Then I think we could quickly come to agreement that we are probably entering one of the largest transformation of society yes. ever seen. And AI is a driving force for that. In productivity, in autonomy, I mean, we can go on and on. It, it will... I mean, start to perform tasks in a similar way or even better way in many cases than we do as humans. So is it then a good thing that we try to do this responsibly? 
Absolutely, right? Yes. And here the uh, act comes in. I mean, it's not not a bad thing that we try to be cautious because it's it's stronger forces than we probably have played with before. And it's, um, it's difficult questions. And the slight problem here, I think, is that we are not alone on the planet. So other continents are perhaps moving a bit faster. And then, then, then there might be consequences of being cautious. I mean, this is really high level, right? But, but uh, yes, I would say it's, it's really, really good that we address these questions in a collective way, in a joint way in Europe then exactly how we do this from time to time, I'm sure this will change. Uh, because these are these are tricky, tricky things that have real implications on the world that we live in. So, so we have to add a number of Elon Musk quotes every podcast. Sometimes I get hackled uh, for that. But, you know, I, I, it sounds like you agree with Elon Musk. You know, he's been famous for claiming that uh, AI is the biggest threat to humankind, similar to Stephen Hawkins and so many others. And, you know, I think he made a really apt comparison to the automotive industries in the 50s when he spoke about the seatbelt. So the automotive industry was heavily fighting the regulation for using seatbelts and said it will completely destroy the automotive in- industry and, and that it's not really necessary and they're trying to you know, fake all the statistics about how that potentially is saving lives. So it took like a decade. But after a decade, you know, it became so apparent that seat belts actually do save uh, lives. So it finally came a regulation and that saved perhaps millions of lives. So in that case, you only lost perhaps 100,000 lives. That's, that's not good. <laughs> but it, when we says when it comes to AI, if we do the same procedure again and wait for a lot of accidents to happen, before we start to put a regulation in, in place, then the effect could be much, much greater and at a different scale than what the seatbelt had. So that's why he says, you know, we need to be proactive and be very quick about, you know, finding a regulation that can harness the, the good sides of AI while, you know, protecting the bad sides. That's I would you agree with you know this is me paraphrasing what he is saying, but would <laughs> yeah, you no, agree but, with Elon Musk here? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, I happen to be about one, be a fanboy, so oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> so I would agree with you any day. I think, um, <clears throat> but I, I think there is also another driving force that we tend to forget sometimes, and that is pure economics. Um, okay, for sure, we should ride on the aspect of saving lives. I mean, that's a noble thing to do. We should do that. I mean, humanity has improved itself over and over again for many, many years, right? <clears throat> but we speak a lot about, if we, we take a detour and we say we talk about the, the, the climate and, and all the things that we need to do to save the planet in a way. Yes. What makes me really positive-minded about it is that today it's no longer a lack of technology or political will because the underlying economics of going green is there. The The electrical vehicle is now on pair with a, a, an ICE vehicle, combustion engine vehicle. Thanks to Elon, perhaps. The, thanks to Elon. Uh, the total cost of ownership of an of a electrical car is lower than... So for us as consumers, it's going to be 
a no-brainer whether we think about the climate or not. Um, the the investment cost for establishing new uh, green energy in wind and solar is already lower than maintaining the old systems. So the financial drivers here are exceptionally strong, and, and this we don't we talk very little about this. So I think the noble course of saving life with autonomy is also going to be driven very rapidly by economics. So when I when I follow some investment companies looking into this, they say that over many, many decades, the cost to move with a car one mile has inflation corrected, been the same for many, many decades. And with autonomy, this is going to go to very, very low number in comparison. So we as consumers will be very interested from a financial point of view taking that autonomous car. Uh, And I think this will have a profound impact, let's say, on, on how we look at these technologies next to what you say, Anders, about the saving life, life aspect. So that's the economy of um, making people use uh, automated solutions in different ways. Do you think the same can be done in terms of uh, hindering, you know, misuse of AI? If we have, you know, similar to the climate, as you mentioned, and we have the economical incentives in building, you know, uh, electrified vehicles on the road. That makes you know everyone just do it because we have the right incentives to do so. Is there a way you think that we could have the right economical incentives to move to responsible AI rather than perhaps having a severe regulation that is forbidding things? Mm. That's a brilliant question, I must say. Not sure I can answer that. <laughs> I think it also depends on what force is driving the change. I guess I mean because I was astonished this fall when <coughs> when it was at Tesla AI Day how, how far they have came with the Tesla bot mm. and claiming that this would cost twenty thousand dollars, and that made me think, oh shit, are we moving fast enough with regulations? Because if factories are all of a sudden replacing every factory factory worker. How far along are the unions in discussing these topics and where are the human rights? So, I mean, I guess that shift is going to happen fairly quick as soon as the technology catches up. But already now, healthcare. I mean, there's so many billions to be made in gains to create health instead. But that's a system shift. That's not free market driven in most cases. I guess it's... Could we... Yeah, yeah go back to... No, I think actually moving to that question about healthcare, and uh, it would be fun. I'm not sure how well you read about you know, Donnie Lake's Neko Health Company and, and their thinking there a bit. It would be fun to hear your thoughts about you know that um, move and that company. I, I can start giving a short, like you know, my view. And, and I'm trying to keep it short. I usually fail, but still. Um, of course, you know, I admire Donny Lake and he has done a lot of very interesting things. He's a very technically knowledgeable person and, of course, very interested in AI and data uh, since the start. And now, you know, he's trying to use AI also for this kind of body scanning and uh, you know, measuring uh, uh, blood and having other, like, uh, sensors on, on your body to try to make some kind of more efficient way to diagnose people 
Now, I think that's a positive thing. You know, we really need to have someone that is pushing the use of technology here in healthcare. And I think I know, you know, move going in that direction that is doing that in a revolutionary pace because it's been tried so long for, and I've personally worked a lot with it and it, it is so hard to do it. So we need someone that can disrupt that market a bit. And I think potentially that this is a move that could start to disrupt it. But on the other side, it can also be the case that if they don't perform the care in the company and just make the diagnosis and then push people into the primary cares or into hospitals, then perhaps even people will get you know more scared and actually it will overload the system rather than to make it more efficient. So you're saying it creates a demand on the system if the system doesn't change with yes with that because innovation. it isn't part of the normal system. It's yeah. an outside of the normal system. Uh, it was a, just a f- pure reflection on my side. Any thoughts about the Neko Health from? Perhaps, Martin, if you would like to start. I'm not updated on that specific company, to be honest. <coughs> um, so, Mikael, if you want to start, if you have that, uh, I, I'm happy to talk about what you say in general. Yeah, I, I I'm not I'm not so well well read up to to, to Neko Health as such, but I, I think I, I mean first of all, I'm not really qualified to to say what's what's going to happen or. What effects will we have? I mean, just just to quote one of the people we, we work a lot with, uh, Marcus Lingman. He usually says, "Let's let's try to keep people away from the hospitals." So yes. I mean, if if we have the effect that that one or another product starts sending more people to the hospitals, then probably that's bad. Um, but if we instead have an effect that we we do a minor. Uh, change in, in diet and people never even go to the hospital then i mean obviously for me that's really good so i mean but but i'm not really i think qualified into into, into what effects will this will have but but in, in general i'm for prevention for sure it seems seems to work with our cars <laughs> i mean I, I think we all can agree that a disruption in the health industry where we use more you know positive use of technology is a good thing at least but then, you know, it, it at least brings to my mind, if I were to know that I have an incurable disease and I will die in 20 years, would I like to know that even? That's not an obvious and easy question, right? <coughs> but I if I can, I mean, if I can chime in on that question, yeah. because I saw that question come in from someone commenting on it, I don't want to know. Well, if you don't want to know, then you're going to cost society millions and maybe you should pay that bill on your own and not take that money from sa- saving the lives of children. Mm. Maybe Good it's points. your responsibility yeah. as a citizen to yeah. know and be healthy yeah. and save the system money. That's a very good point. Probably I right. mean, that's the way private insurance uh, finance system works in the US. It's in their interest to create health because it's the most cost-efficient way, mm. whereas our sy- entire system is built on it rewarding inspections, not creating health. Well said. I work with Marcus Lingman. (laughs) 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 Okay, so you're positive, Kai, about um, Neko as well, or are you? I mean, I'm biased in this sense. Uh, 
But yeah, I, I think it's really exciting. I mean, just being able to walk into a scan and get a quick analysis from self-supervised models on your cardiovascular health and your skin costume quickly and do that once a year. I mean, I would happily share my data from my wearables to the system and get small and get a call or an email say, hey, we need to go, need you to come in instead of me waiting to break down. It seems like a better way. I'd rather be healthy for a long time. Have you added yourself to the wait list? Yes. Yeah, me as well. How about you? No, uh, Not yet. <laughs> Let's see. But I do wear labs, I mean, the blood tests. And I would love to be able to share that with Ika to get personalized diet tips and right. other other partners. Yeah, awesome. So about <coughs> the health industry in general then, uh, and not speaking about this company, I know there's been a lot of project in AI Sweden uh, about you know trying to work with Mar- Marcus Lingman and others. And there's been a lot of progress, I think, there as well, which is nice. Um, but would you agree that, that there is some frustration in how difficult it is to have true deployed system that actually make use? Or what's your view of working when using AI in the healthcare systems? I mean, the, the role we take here is quite simple in a way, right? We, we, um, we started 2019 uh, to try to understand what we could, how we could contribute. And at that time we came to, to two very simple conclusions. Let, let's identify the best and do everything we can to make them run faster. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Lingman was not as known in Sweden at that time as he is today, and we, there we have contributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing was we realized that the healthcare providers were not um, collaborating to an degree that was, let's say, satisfactory. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> when, when you realize that we have 21 autonomous uh, um, regions providing our healthcare. Um, so that was uh, the other basic role we took. Let's get them together and share. We haven't been involved in developing specific solutions. What we do today, however, is being very highly involved in enabling technologies. Uh, decentralized AI is a big push to not centralize data because that's not going to happen, but yes. rather decentralizing the learning. For sensitive data such as health data, yeah. right? And the second one is uh, language technology that we are absolutely sure will be used in healthcare. They will never, as it stands today, and what we can foresee, um, send our patient journals through an API hosted by an American right. company. That won't happen. So, will the models we develop together in in the Sweden uh, in a, in a Swedish consortium be the solution? Not sure, but at least we are learning a lot. Um, and we have already regions that are trying this out. Um, early days, but uh, very, very interesting, I must say. Um, <coughs> sorry, but so there, there is interesting uh, progress. Um, frustration, yes, because it's it's difficult and it requires those leaders at the top of hospitals and top of regions to take bold decisions. To be honest, uh, we had one region now last week actually deciding that they will take uh, legal risk related to GDPR because it's it's difficult. It's uh, it's not clear territory. Uh, and having an, a public organization actively taking a decision to take risk is pretty cool, but also 
strange in a way, right? Yeah. So um, frustration, but also a lot of enthusiasm. Um, I recognize this, you know, the legal uncertainty basically about, you know, how you should use and, and can use the data. And I mean, why, why can't we make that more clear? I mean, let's at least try to make, learn some lessons from GDPR now in the upcoming AI Act and not have this kind of uncertainty yeah. in how we are being compliant. If we at least learn a bit from that and make it a bit more clear, I think yep, I agree. it would be insanely much better, right? Agreed. Cool. Um, I was, you know, just going a bit back to ChatGPT and now Google versus Microsoft, and perhaps not Apple in this case, because they seem to be left out in, in this game or war or whatever. Um, do you have any thoughts about this? And, and I, I can give a quick intro if, if you want to. So, of course, we have the uh, ChatGPT that became a big like disruption in media, at least, and, uh, and perhaps not so much in research, but in media. And a lot of users were really impressed and used a lot for cheating and for good purposes. Um, and then Google came out and they did a horrible presentation and it was, uh, I, I can't even understand how they, in a public live demo, was so unprepared, cherry-picked uh, an example of the James Webb telescope that was, you know, inaccurate. They could have cherry-picked anything, at least double-check the thing that you will use for a public live demo and they didn't. And then they should have, um, I think during the live demo, they, they should have gone to like a mobile phone where they interacted in live mode. But then the phone was missing for the person that did the demo. And it's like, um, oh, we don't know what to do now. I mean, doing a public demo like this should be double, triple, quadruple checked, you know, and rehearsed. And, and it wasn't. And they basically fell like $100 billion in valuation in a day. And I, I think it's frustrating because, as you said, Kai, you know, and, and me as well, we are actually big fans of Google, and they have done so much in the past. They, you know, did you know bring out the transformer that every, you know, all of these technologies are based on. They have other language models uh, for a long time, dialogue systems with Lambda that is, you know, someone claimed to be sentient, but they didn't publish it. And uh, OpenAI did, and, and then we have people like Jan Lekunde said, you know, Meta or Google are not publishing system that just makes stuff up. Anyway, it was a big disruption, I think, at least for, pub for public domain, so to speak, for this one to happen. And Google make, made a bad, like almost, um, yeah, not well thought move to try to combat that. What, what do you think about this? potential war between the tech giants of Microsoft and Google here. Is the good thing that the war is happening or what's your general thinking? Um, <laughs> well, that's a good start. question. Well, first of all, I think it shows the, shows how people view this uh, and view this it is as game changing, important and the pace of this happening is just astonishing in a way. Right? I saw a graph the other day <coughs> where there was something along the lines of time it had taken a number of global services to reach 1 million users. And <laughs> you couldn't even, on the scale, you couldn't even see the time it took for, for GPT. 
think it was, it was five it was days in, instead yeah, of the. It was instant, right? Yeah. <coughs> so obviously, this it puts a lot of forces in motion. And I mean, we are talking about companies bid, as you said, um, valuations of dramatic numbers. So, so obviously, there is a lot to, uh, at play. Um, if we see it as competition among global companies, I guess competition is a good thing. Right. Very much if so we right. see it as uh, knowledge being generated about these things in public domain, I think it's a good thing. Mm. <clears throat> a lot of people trying these things make them also perhaps a little bit more educated on what these things actually are. Mm. Um, but I, I wouldn't perhaps be wanting to be sitting at the decision <laughs> making table at any of these companies at the moment. I feel so poorly for the person <laughs> responsible for the live, de- live, uh, live demo of Google. I mean, yeah. that Mikael, you want to chime in on this? Oh, I, I, I think I think we should sort of make a connection to how do we do this in a responsible way. Uh, and, and I mean, if, if 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 we see the use of these of these uh, chatbots or or like the 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 products of these technologies um i mean we have already seen it being used by a by a judge in i think in argentina uh using it to sort of help out his 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 case and say that well chat gpt said that probably it's like this okay i mean this is this is crazy stuff right i'm not sure that that the ai act would have prevented that right but what we for sure need is a responsible use of AI and we need a lot more knowledge and we need a lot more sort of safeguards in that kind of sense. But, but so, so I'm, I'm completely for that. I want to just come back to that, that we need to be super responsible using this. And to tie it into your question, is it good? I don't know. It's, it's what it is, right? I mean, we, we can't really control it. But what we can control is how we sort of tackle it. How do we tackle this 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 really, really rapidly increasing change that we are having in society? At the moment, we're tackling it with the AI Act. Is that the right response? I'm not sure. I'm going to follow up, big, follow up with a big question, and that is, I mean, we're talking about Bing coming along and all the services that will come along from Microsoft where they have retrieving power. Now ChatGPT is trained up until 2021, but now it will, I mean, you can ask things in real time. So you can take a document and compare to another document and do. And that's a Bing chat. It's a Bing chat, yeah. Yeah. So it's different from ChatGPT, but yeah. But I mean, there there will come such services like this that have immense business value for businesses competitive power you can do research in real time if all those services come from the u.s it's almost like buying gas from russia you become very politically dependent if they decide to suddenly i mean turn off that tap or limit that tap do you think we need to have a political stance or like strategy for this or can we just rely on the goodwill from, from the u.s or from private companies in the u.s but I think this is a key point. This is absolutely crucial. What, what what kind of knowledge and capacity and capabilities do we need to have in Europe? That's the question, right? Yeah. Yes. And I, I think it's it's really unanswered. Yeah. And you think you think European countries can like go up against Microsoft and Google, or do we have to? Can we even do it collaboratively? 
No, but I, I think I think at least we we can make sure that we learn enough to know what is what is this technology, what is behind it, what is the sort of uh, what's the base technology. How can we use it in Europe in a safe way? What is what is a good use case of this, and what is a really bad one? I mean, we have we have loads of lessons here, and and I think some of them will require us to actually build these these uh, these models on our own, and I think that's that's part part of the reasoning at AI Sweden why we are actually doing this. Yeah, <coughs> if we take the perspective on this that we had in the beginning, meaning economical growth, <coughs> and we say that these tools whether they are in the state of today or integrated into Bing or other services coming, if those services increase productivity, then that would lead to economical growth that is stronger than related to the ones not having it, right? So in the scenario uh, that you mentioned, Kai, that these tools are actually enabling economical growth and then suddenly we don't have them. Well, it might be a slight of an issue, right? Yeah. So, so definitely, I mean, as I said, I think there is a things at stake that we perhaps not see at the first glance um, and I don't know them um, but for sure this is this is something that that, will, that we have to follow carefully how to treat it I'm not sure actually but, uh, I, mean, I think an interesting question here is really how, how will we judge and choose the winner of this war uh, the competition that we're seeing now I think also one way would be that you can say that we, I think sometimes they compare it to humans versus machines here a bit and saying that as long as a, mach- a human does something, you trust it. So then there needs to be some kind of human supervision of whatever service you provide, potentially even ChatGPT or something, which is, of course, impossible. Then it won't scale. But I think it, it's really, you know, one other thing that... Perhaps actually China here has an interesting <coughs> example where they said, if I remember correctly, they had a law saying you're required to put a label on whatever label on whatever service you have saying this is AI generated. So if you get a recommendation on listening on some song or some text being published, it should be a label saying this is actually lab- uh, generated by AI. I think that's a bad move. Um, and, and let me try to explain why. I think you know it's it's better you know we will see and are already seeing that AI is worth is used together with humans. It's not human only. There's very few human only things that we're doing today. Some input for every kind of task that we do is powered by some kind of AI service. Even if it's you know googling for some result with traditional Google search or you know whatever it can be. So I think the answer perhaps is not to try to put different regulations in place for AI instead of humans, which you spoke about in the beginning. Let's not you know, regulate the technology because it's a wrong move to start with. It will be used and it will be continued to be mixed together. So whatever type of outages you will see will be a part of it from machines and a part of it from humans. And, and then the question is really what in that case should we judge who the winner is. And, and I would argue that it is trust. The service that the, provides the most confident and you know, useful and, and correct answers will be something that is winning in the end. Do you, do you see what I mean? Do, do you agree with us? Or? I see what you mean. Uh, but if, 
if no one knows <laughs> more or less what the correct <laughs> answer is, then True. that falls, right? <laughs> is it interesting who's the wi- who, who is the winner? I mean, maybe if you invest in the stock market, it might be, right? But <clears throat> another way to look at it would be, does humanity win? <clears throat> because I think, I think the big problem here is not necessarily who is the winner, who's the loser. We can probably agree that AI will generate tremendous value in certain companies uh, rather than countries. Um, so the, the, the most important question is then, would that value come from services serving humanity in a good way? And can we collectively find solutions where we distribute that value in a way that supports humans, right? Because if you look at the already a couple of years ago, we saw that the the share of, of generated value in private sector that goes to the workers, right, has decreased over decades. And this is going to accelerate, right? So... Um, how can we actually distribute the value generated by taxes, by new systems? That I think is a, it's a key question here. Whomever is generating that value. It's an interesting question, I think, also, because I think uh, when I look at generative models, generative image generating models, uh, last week there were, or maybe this week, there was a lot of critique from several authors and cr- artists uh, critiquing Dali and other generative models. But I mean, I if I paint a picture, I can be inspired by the Mona Lisa and paint a similar picture. But a model cannot. Why why is that? It's a it's like a it's a weirdly philosophical discussion where we put ourselves on a pedestal above above things. And I think we need to tackle that because I think I think to some sense, I don't know, subconsciously, a lot of the AI discussion, AI ethics discussion is about our need to be, to have the final say and not distribute power. Because in a sense, the gen- text generative models like ChatGPT makes it easier to come up to a to higher level quicker. And that challenges those who are the experts in each field. Those are often often the ones who critique them. Mm. Any thoughts on that <coughs> tinfoil hat argument? Well, I think, uh, Anders, I mean, you know, you know Spot- Spotify very well, right? And <coughs> what has Spotify done to, <coughs> to humanity? I mean, it's brought music to many more people than what we had in the past. And taking the cost down, we're actually accessing music. So if you look at this very positively, you would say that <clears throat> if you look at these as, as tools, whether it's uh, creating language or or uh, painting pictures, we give tools to anyone, and the cost is just going to plummet over time. So actually, we the de- de- we democratize very powerful tools in a way, given that they are open, not free, perhaps, but open. Right? So. <laughs> What happens when we do that? Because today we, we 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 use other tools, and the ones having the tools might be better off than others, and, and so on. I mean, it's it's really 
I think it's interesting an, discussion. It's an inter- interesting question, also from a quality perspective. I think if it becomes easier to reach a, a mediocre level, will we will we take from pure quality? Yeah. Mm. There's another question actually that I was discussing with with some colleagues, uh, and I'm actually asking a question here now. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's but, perfect. But uh, it's an afterword. Yeah. What what. Uh, what will happen? Because now we, we're seeing all of these uh, AI-generated images, uh, all of the all of this AI-generated texts. If we go, you know, five or ten years down the line, those models will be trained probably on a lot of AI-generated mm-hmm. content. What what effects will that have, both for the output and for the sort of? Will that mean that that we will? sort of raise the value of humanly generated content or would it not? It's actually a very philosophically interesting question, I think. If we take the best produced music to just make it a bit more concrete, and um, there are so many different models now to generate both music and and voice and and everything. And if that can do that, that is personalized and perhaps high quality, and then it's trained on itself, or other models are trained on that. How can humans, I mean, for one, how can humans compete? But I think it's wrong to say how humans com- can compete. It's simply that you will have higher, you know, better tools. And actually, to your interesting question about Spotify, I mean, it made music more available to people, but it also actually, the goal, at least for Spotify in later years, has been how also to make creators of music more. Uh, uh, easy to, to create music, mm. so to enable people to actually create music in, in different ways. And if you take both of these aspect, aspects and, and use technology to also help people become musicians, perhaps one day I can actually sing a karaoke song without it sounding horribly. Um, but that would actually enable people to do things they couldn't do before, which is actually a really good thing. So by simply Having models train on models, as you say, it could enable people and humans to do things they would never ever, ever be able to do otherwise. Right? Which probably sparks the the need for the discussion of also the role of culture. Uh, I mean, to really to avoid us being completely data driven and end up in a in a society of only mediocrity. This is a, this is the part of the question I have. I mean, where where do we? Where do we place authenticity? Because if you read a book, for example, you know that the author has worked on this book for 25 years and, and he or she has, has failed and tried again and failed and finally this book comes out and it's, it's an amazing book. I mean, part, part of the experience that you have as a reader, I think, is that you sort of you, you realize the effort and labor behind this book and that a specific person has actually formulated all these thoughts and, and narratives, <coughs> would that be higher valued than an equally good book, but that is generated by a model? I think it depends on who's reading it. It depends on and, the reader, uh, your ability to take in, like how many senses you have open. And I think at the current level of AI, we're only able to produce to a certain level, but as AI progresses, we'll probably reach higher and higher and higher. But and couldn't we compare it to a simple thing like playing chess, though? I mean, that's an area where AI has for a long, long time been far superior human, surpassing human ability. But people are still playing chess. It doesn't really remove the interest 
of playing chess. It's simply we know other people are better than me, and I certainly know machines are much better than I ever can be, but it's still fun. Yeah, but isn't that like pop music? People are still listening to pop music. <laughs> What's wrong with pop music? Yeah, I was about to say dance band, but I didn't go there. <laughs> I was waiting actually for Kai to be provocative. But I think uh, from time to time you need to listen to some jazz and some like Bach to really get your emotions. Can coming. we come back next week and have this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think we will come to a place where we simply accept that you know there are things other than us that are better and things but it, we still have a good time I think if we'll you play ch- chess only chess for your entire life eventually you want to invent something new why <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> now but, uh, uh, i think it will be sim- okay to, to quote an elon musk once again i think that the future will be a life of abundance Meaning, you know, we have don't have to fight to get roof over our heads. We don't have to fight to get energy. We don't have to fight to get food on the table, so to speak. It will be a life of abundance, and, and we have to adapt to that. But it doesn't mean it has to be worse. Not at all. I agree. The, the journey there might be difficult. Yes. It will be a big transition, and a lot of people will be hurt during that transition. But the vision could still be really beautiful, I think. Absolutely, I share that 100%. But speaking about generative AI, and there is a lot of lawsuits speaking about you know, generative images and, and whatnot. So we have lawsuits you know, against MidJourney for their generation of images. We have lawsuits <coughs> on Microsoft Copilot and their use of all the code that exists in, in GitHub repos and, and then potentially use that to... Uh, which is not allowed to, you know, it's copyrighted, but still used as inspiration for some AI model. And we don't know the outcome yet. There's a number of these kind of trials going on right now. For one, what do you think the outcome will be of of one of of these? Potentially the, you know, Git uh, Copilot thing with generating code based on other copyrighted code, or mid-journey, you know, using images to to generate other images in style of Da Vinci or whatever. Do you think they will win? I I, I think my, my answer is, uh, first of all, I have I have no idea who will win, but I, I think what's key here is that, I mean, it's, it's us humans making the laws and this is a political decision. This, I mean, this is, this is really a political decision and, and you have sort of two, two goods. How, how do you balance them out? This is this is values driven. Well, who who do you value more? Do you value the the the, the sort of content consumption of, of everyone, or how much do you value that against the creators? Uh, for me, it's a political decision for sure. It's how you formulate the laws. Yeah, I guess it's not a perfect comparison, but if we go back a decade, we had a huge discussions about uh, piracy, right? Mm-hmm. And then companies with, with good text like Spotify made that go away mm-hmm. completely. Yeah. Yes. And I think, I, I think this, this will be the same. There will be a number of years where this will be debated and thought about and, and then eventually... From a world political view also, I think it's similar to the carbon credit discussion where, I mean, we in the West don't want to pay more than developing countries, 
and the same could go for these generative models, why should we prevent them from access to these automated models that can help them create content and provide value much quicker and catch up and protect that? I mean, we stand on their shoulders and we've colonized them and we are where we are because of them. So it, I guess it depends also on, on what kind of lawyers they can bring to the table. Mm. I, I'm just scared about, you know, if it will be um, a winning conviction here and you know they will uh, win over Microsoft or Midjourney and whatnot. I mean, the ramifications of that, it basically means that any kind of generative AI is breaking the law right now. I mean, I don't even see what will happen then if that, that, if that occurs. It, it would be disruptive, to say the least, right? It's, it's really scary, I think. You will uh, use a Baidu model? <laughs> right, China doesn't care about that. So. No, but this, uh, this is, I think this is a, an excellent point. I mean, it, I mean, we have different, different laws and different legal systems in different countries, right? That was not expected to be an easy, <laughs> easy ride. But it's we are in the right. It started. I really, I said uh, in December to to the team that I think 2022 will be remembered as the year it happened. Tesla had a breakthrough when it comes to autonomy. Yeah, very few few people acknowledges this. Mm. And we had the language technology making yet another breakthrough, um, and it was engineered into a service. Yes, exactly. That. It's kick-ass, if you wish, right? Uh, now so we just need to find a business model as yeah. well. We have yeah, the research sure, being sure. done and it works. We need uh, engineering and it, it seems to work. But how can we find a business model mm. on top of these services now? I think that's still an open question. I haven't really seen anything, at least, that, that answers that question. No, and I, can't, I don't think... I mean, there's no possibility to stop, it, stop this because there's too much business value to be created by the big organizations. So their legal teams would just find ways around it, and use the tech. But I think it's interesting that you know OpenAI now is moving into a Spotify business model. I, I'm not sure if Spotify was the first here with the free tier and, and mixed, you know, premium and fixed and, and free tier. But I think it was one of the first at least. And now basically OpenAI is moving in that direction, and they have a free tier for ChatGPT. And then you have a GPT Plus, I think it's called, where you pay like $20 or something, um, and, and you get faster access and some premium functions. I think it's a rather good approach, I must say. Um, and, and I think the pure, and potentially then if you use the free tier, you get ads, similar to what you did in Spotify. If you pay for it, you get faster access, premium functions, and no ads. And it's exactly the same as Spotify, actually, in, in their business model. Do you think that will be the future for like the Google search and Microsoft Bing's of the world when they have dialogue systems and chatbots, you know, being used there? Or I mean, it's very difficult to, to, to predict, of course, but I, I, I from the sort of this the sense that I have around how Google works, at least today, I mean, it's it that has never been their business model. No. And I have a really hard time seeing that they will that they will introduce that as a business model. So I think they would probably do it in. But they have at least you know pure you know subscription services a yes, lot. That's true. So that's true. Yeah, like I mean they've Google done it Drive with YouTube and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's so true. You have some free version there. You have a paid version. So yeah, they, yeah, they have maybe, some. Yeah. But it's not the main. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah, right. 
Uh, but yeah, that's true. But, uh, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, it's just not as clear-cut, I guess. Yeah. And Marx will pro- probably have more experience than this. And also the connection to other organizations, the B2B part. Although Google Cloud, of course, has a lot there as well. <laughs> it's interesting times. <laughs> yeah, right? it is for sure. Perhaps we should, uh, unless we have other questions, it would be fun to just think more about, you know, the next steps or future future of AI Sweden. Uh, what's future coming for, up there. Or future for Sweden. Uh, what's for Sweden. like, what's the, what's the, what would you say would be the message for all our companies, all our public sector leaders, and potentially our general, or our politicians, but most importantly, I think our company leaders and public sector leaders. <coughs> I can start. We... We have decided uh, within AI Sweden to talk about from experiment to scale. And what we want to say here is not for only for us, it's for the ecosystem in general. Let's now say that we have experimented with how we collaborate within organizations, tried things out, developed proof of concepts or whatever. Let's now take the next step, whether it's AI Sweden or one of our partners or a collective set of partners. Let's scale. Is that going to take three, five, ten years? I don't know, but but that's the perspective. I think we need to start thinking about this as real tools we should use for better businesses and for better uh, public organizations and their services to to citizens, and not think about it as much as something happening research level or something we try out in a corner, we really need to embrace it and scale up the effort. It goes all the way from leadership, investments, teams, talent. That's, I think, the next step. Yeah, I mean, just to be very, very brief, I think we need to keep on learning and actually prioritize accordingly. I mean, this is the key. I mean, it's a lot about leadership. We have we have some some true leaders for sure. I mean, both in the public sector and the private sector, and let's be inspired by by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So are you positive that we will. Although there are a lot of challenges like AI Act coming up, and uh, Europe is lacking a big like tech leader at least. Uh, we have some good leader in terms of companies in Sweden. Perhaps we have some good leadership as well in some companies and even politicians and others, right? I so. think definitely there are individuals. Yes, for sure. And I think that, I mean we still have a big asset in our data. If we can make that, I mean, if we can catch up to Dig's recommendation to make a national data infrastructure that we can create, hand out as an asset to the corporate sector, that could be fantastic. I mean, obviously, we need a national infrastructure for our healthcare data to be able to work with that as well, but it's even more complicated. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So you're positive, right, about the future, or what do you feel? Do you <laughs> feel that now it's starting to accelerate uh, as the mission of AI Sweden is, or is it, or are we still in the you know before the inflection point of the curve start to happen? I I'm definitely positive about the future, and I think also, I mean, you've. In a way, I think you have to be because I mean the future is not set. I mean it's it's what you what you try to make it. So so let's be positive. What's mm. next? More yeah. Sorry, Martin. No, no, I just want to agree. What's next personally? 
We start with you, Martin. What's happening privately, professionally? Something happening coming weeks or months? Mm. Good question. Um, <clears throat> I'm very, very committed to building AI Sweden into something that has a significant impact in, in Sweden. I think we've taken the first step. <clears throat> um, I decided some years ago to continue at least until 2024. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so I won't, I won't <laughs> look look ahead until then. But but I, it is an interesting time for me personally because the establishment of AI Sweden is done. I think we have concluded that in the steering committee we have and and we think about it our, uh, about ourselves in that way. And that means also that internally the leadership of AI Sweden has been distributed to many more people. So for me, it's really to look ahead and see what, what should be the next thing, um, whether it's AI or consequences of AI and so on. And I'm just in the beginning of that. So um, I hope I could go back, come back in a year yeah. to see yeah. <laughs> what has happened. But uh, it's, it's personally an interesting time when I'm delegating much more than in the past. So. Beyond AI, if you could dream, I mean, beyond AI and Spotify, music and whatever industry that Sweden is known for, what would you dream be for Sweden as like the next company or export that we would have in five, ten years? I mean, my background is entrepreneurial um, and I've succeeded and failed, mostly failed. <clears throat> but I, honestly, I don't think so much about the future in terms of building companies or having companies being built. <clears throat> Where I am is actually back to what Anders said, the, the, the future is a future of abundance. And um, I think a lot and start to develop collaborations involved in thinking a little bit longer ahead. What What is actually the future that we could build if we take the right decisions and so on? Um, so we are starting now in roads to the energy sector, for instance, not necessarily from a pure AI perspective, but rather from a way of working perspective, because we have the the the, the trust of our large corporates and, and on the way we approach this collaboration. So it's quite interesting for me to get into those things and start to think about society in a different way. And um, whatever companies comes out of that, uh, let's see... Um, there are certainly opportunities. Interesting. Mikael, what's next in your life? Any thoughts? Um, I'm going to go straight to the private side. I um, I started coaching my, my daughter's football team. Oh. And it's actually a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, uh, <laughs> that's a big thing for me now. <laughs> that sounds awesome as well. Yeah. yeah. Thinking about you know that's uh, that's living the life of abundance in some way as well. Yes, Focus on family, and the fun stuff. Yeah. Hurry up with AI, and you will have much more time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask? I mean, I'm gonna just screw screw time right now. But uh, since we're four uh, middle-aged white men sitting here talking, and you mentioned coaching your daughter, do you see AI playing a role in accelerating our transition to an, a, an equal society? That's a good uh, question and a big one. I haven't really thought about that, actually. Um, but but um, I don't know, my standard 
answer as, as you might have heard <laughs> is I guess it's what we make it right I mean yeah. uh, technology is just technology we, we can use it in whatever way we want to I mean I'm I'm co-host but I'm going to just take the mic and say I think we need to accelerate put the pe- foot to the pedal and make sure that we get more uh, girls and women engineers and data scientists and investors and everything to, to speed that up because otherwise we will get by more biased models in the yeah. future. Agreed. 100%. Martin and Michael, uh, or Mikael, sorry. Uh, anyone that you would recommend to come on this podcast? Someone that you would like us to interrogate uh, in similar ways? <laughs> I don't really know which ones you you've had. You have you've had a lot of people. Just right? say anyone that you would love to hear <laughs> in this kind of setting, us or for you to listen on a format like this. I mean, <clears throat> being a Sweden and, and thinking about what we see as actually the, the key thing we have mentioned it many times um, in terms of leadership. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, the impact you can have, I think, is to boost those leaders that we have out there um, in every sector um, and have them come and explain yeah so what they do bring out the good examples of leaders <coughs> that we do have in some way yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe a few names in head but we can come back to that also and uh, yes uh, but the more leaders you Put in these chairs and have them explain. And what do you mean with leaders? I mean, do you mean like CEO kind of leaders or do you mean leaders in, I mean, it could be leaders in engineering <laughs> or in research as well? I thought mostly about uh, decision makers with yes, ability okay. to actually commit in mm. terms of investments and building teams and, and so on. There are obviously informal leaders everywhere. Um, mm. But what we really need here with the very, very decentralized society we have 290 municipalities, 150 local energy companies. You can go on and on and on, right? <clears throat> More leaders understanding this and seeing the potential, seeing the potential disruption and act accordingly. And th- this requires strong leadership from, from some at the top and, and some real cash behind it because otherwise it won't happen. So um, that would be the people, I think. I think actually uh, an interesting thing has occurred since the launch of ChatGPT, and it's that you have you have these sort of these people who are working often actually in in, in, in education or in schools or in in, in high schools or, or universities. They sort of uh, they sort of show their true colors. Some people come out and say, "Oh, this is super dangerous. It's going to be people are going to cheat, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, problems for us, basically." And and others come out and say, I just planned a, a, an entire class uh, using ChatGPT, and it took me five seconds, and yeah. it was actually really cool. So I think uh, I think having those people who are actually working in sort of a real life environment mm-hmm. using AI, mm-hmm. uh, bringing them here would be super interesting to to hear. And I like it. We, we haven't haven't really had like more use case use case oriented people that focus mainly on, on the use case and the value. I mean, we had, of course, but 
still it's been people that are you know more passionate about AI perhaps than the exactly. value sometimes. So having more people that really focus on the value and then simply you know using AI in whatever way they can to simply do that yes. could be actually a good way to yeah to be, yeah, inspire more people perhaps. I like your idea, Mika. Yeah, I like that too. Was it the was it was it the, that Star Trek says you know uh, leaders should um, to boldly go go where no one has gone before, right? If we find those people, yes, that would be a good guess, perhaps. Yep. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank Martin you. Thank you. Michael.